Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Fistle Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid back nature. He's a family man and being a country mega star while also having seven kids. You know, he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Hello and welcome to the Psychology Podcast with Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman, where we give you insights into the mind, brain, behavior, and creativity. Each episode will feature a new guest who will stimulate your mind and give you a greater understanding of yourself, others, and the world we live in. Hopefully, we'll also provide a glimpse into human possibility. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. So today I'm very lucky to have Dr. Susan Block on the show. Dr. Susan Block is an American sex therapist, author, filmmaker, TV talk show host, and cultural commentator. She is founder of the Dr. Susan Block Institute for the Erotic Arts and Sciences. Thanks, Susan, for talking to me today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Scott. I'm excited. I'm excited, too. You are known for lots of things. <laughs> we can talk about lots of stuff tonight. You are oh, absolutely. Multi- some of which I'm famous for and some of which I'm infamous for. You know, I've known you since I was a little baby. <laughs> you were a grad student uh, at Yale. You were literally in the audience of a talk I gave mm-hmm. yeah. at Yale Sex Week. I gave a ta- an academic talk on mating intelligence with uh, my colleague, Glenn Gear, And you mm-hmm. came up to me after the talk, and you were just so supportive. And I just want to thank you. You know, I don't know if I, I liked you. fully thanked uh, you. <laughs> well, you're welcome. But thanks aren't necessary. I, did, I wanted to come up to you because I wanted to connect with you. Yes. It's and a we- bonobo thing. Yes, and we did connect. And we have lots to talk about. So one thing you're known for is your philosophy of ethical hedonism, right? Yeah. And I thought you could unpack a little bit for the audience what that means. Ethical hedonism. Well, uh, it's first of all very possible to be an ethical hedonist. It's not an oxymoron. And in fact, you can't be a moron to be one. 
And yeah, you can be one just as easily as you can be an unethical Puritan, really. It's just about understanding that, you know, pleasure is a great motivator. Pleasure is a positive thing in life. It's not necessarily a weakness to enjoy pleasure. And yeah, it does need to be tempered with ethics. And uh, these ethics don't have to be moralizing ethics. In fact, they can be just as natural as the desire of pleasure. There are many studies that show that kindness is hedonic, that it feels good to do good. So in a way, ethical hedonism is just feeling good, doing good. What is hedonism in your definition? kind of like Epicurean hedonism. It's not the kind of hedonism that, you know, damn everybody else's feelings. If it feels good, do it, and that's it. It's, yeah, it's putting pleasure as a priority, maybe even first, but it's also taking other people's pleasure into consideration. And it is defining pleasure in a very expansive, bonobo-esque way. So this is really interesting because, you know, I am... in the past couple of years, I've really gone into the field of positive psychology. And I mm-hmm. actually I teach positive psychology at, um, I don't even know if you know where I am right now, but I now teach at University of Pennsylvania. Yes, been a my while. parents went there. I'm very excited about that. Yeah, and you grew up yeah. actually in the suburbs right near where I grew up. <laughs> the main line. Yeah, the main line, yeah. And I teach positive psychology. And a big thing I teach is the sort of multidimensional conceptualization of well-being and happiness and how it goes beyond just hedonism defined as, you know, just simple pleasures, showing that like for a full life, you need meaning, you need engagement, you need, or at least it helps, maybe not need, but Mm. it helps to positive social relationship, um, these sorts of things, these sorts of things. And so it sounds to me like, I mean, I think your definition of hedonism goes beyond just carnal pleasures, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, meaning gives me the most pleasure, you know, finding meaning and what I do and what happens in my life. That's a great pleasure that gives me, you know, braingasms. <laughs> braingasms, I love that. Sure. Feel good. Now, yeah? you, your own practice, you know, you're, you're, I mean, you're lots of things, and you're not the type of person to be just labeled as one thing. But one of your hats is a sex therapist. Is that right? Absolutely. And you? I'm a sex therapist in private practice. That's my day job. You incorporate lots of different techniques in your work. I've read erotic theater therapy, sexual psychodrama, and bonobo liberation therapy. Now, these might not be obvious what these things mean to my listeners. So would you be open to unpacking a little bit what these kind of therapies entail? Sure. It's to unpack, but, you know, (laughs) that whole threesome you just started there. But what should we start with? Erotic theater therapy? Because I know we're going to want to talk about bonobos. Yeah, let's hold off on – yeah, that's going to segue. So we'll segue into the, the whole – but I have a million bonobo questions for you. Yeah. So let's start with your kind of – your background in theater, which I believe you studied at Yale. I did. I have a bachelor's in theater. And really, you know, I kind of – veered towards that because it is the sexiest major at Yale, maybe even the easiest. And I am a bit of an old-fashioned hedonist and slightly lazy. And I like the idea of getting credit for kissing a classmate, you know. (laughs) Uh, You you said that in your book. 
Yeah. And well, it's really what motivated me other than just, I feel like, you know, well, the world is a stage and not just if you like Shakespeare, but you know, just that's life. People are always acting and interacting. And a lot of acting training is, is teaching empathy, really mm. teaching how to tune in to your fellow actors. Or as a director, how to tune into your director so that you can act um, in this finite thing called a play or a movie. But it's really kind of a, a lesson to learn for life, I think. So in my practice, yeah. I do erotic theater therapy. What is that? Um, yeah. And uh, it's kind of a psychodrama, erotic psychodrama. It can be done in real life with a group like I do pretty much every Saturday night on my show and in my after party. And it can be done one-on-one. It can be done in your own mind, in the erotic theater of the mind. You know, fantasy can be just as interesting and compelling as reality. And in erotic theater therapy, we explore the world of fantasy, whether that's a complete you know, Disney-style fantasy or a memory of something that might have happened to you, maybe something positive, maybe something negative that happened in your sexual life. Exploring that through role play that is both uh, meaningful and hopefully pleasurable, not necessarily pleasurable. Sometimes it can be painful, but hopefully it is always meaningful and helpful the client to understand their sexual feelings, their fetishes, uh, the fantasies that might bother them, and how to explore them, whether to explore them in real life, whether to do that uh, with a partner, to do it in a group, to act it out literally, or just maybe in a kind of theatrical style way with perhaps a dominatrix or in some other professional setting, or whether to just keep it in the mind and just kind of contain it there, you know. Did you invent this? uh, Pretty much, I I guess. I mean, I I don't know if it's an invention so much as a pulling of of different styles of communication, different therapies, uh, also just fantasy role play, uh, pulling from all the different wonderful sexperts I know from, uh, yeah, you know, and I I use it all to help my my clients. And you see a lot of significant changes in your clients. Uh, yeah, I guess I could say that. Is I guess I see significant changes sometimes. I certainly see significant understanding. Sometimes it is about a change, about coming out of a closet, about realizing that there's nothing wrong with your fantasy and you really need to, in order to live a full, meaningful life, express yourself like a butterfly from a caterpillar, you know. And then you see a very meaningful change, and it's very obvious, and it's a celebration. And sometimes the change is very, very minuscule, but it's very important, such as if someone has a very, very taboo fantasy that they shouldn't explore, if they fantasize about doing something that is really wrong, and they think it's wrong too, something that, you know, probably not a good idea, definitely not a good idea to explore in reality, that there are other ways to explore it and that they're not like totally messed up just for yeah. thinking it. So do you think we live in a really sexually repressed culture? 
in comparison to other cultures. Compare, yeah, many cultures. Other other cultures. Uh, or in comparison to bonobo culture. No, I guess no, no, in comparison no, no. to other human cultures. Other you know, human. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think we're more or less. I, I think that most human cultures are repressed in one way or another. And often the way in which you are repressed in one culture, you're more open in another. I've traveled around a bit, and I noticed that every culture has their way of being very sexual that is almost shocking to anyone from another culture. And then they have their ways in which they appear to be repressed. For instance, Americans talk about sex a lot. Maybe iTunes gives us you know, an R rating, but the fact is that most other cultures, even in France, um, they go, you Americans, you talk so much about sex. And I guess we're relatively unrepressed in that regards, at least on talk shows. But the French, on the other hand, they're much more open about just um, having affairs, I guess, yeah. as long as they respect certain boundaries. Yeah. What do you and then I was surprised when I, I had a caller on my show from Iraq who uh, sometimes I get people from all over the world, both in my private practice and on my show. And on this show, I, I had some other sex experts, and he was saying that, you know, his sex life with his wife had become boring, and he wasn't sure quite what to do. And we were giving him all these ideas for how to spice up his sex life. And he was saying, no, no, that wasn't a good idea. That wasn't a good idea. And then somebody said, well, do you want to divorce your wife? And he said, no, of course not. My wife and I, we love each other. I mean, and she's the mother of my five children, and she's a good woman. I would never divorce her. And we said, well, you don't want to make your sex life better, but you want a better sex life, and you don't want to divorce her. What do you want to do? He says, well, I want to take a second wife. Wow. And we were like, what? So, you know, I don't know. Are we repressed? Is he repressed? Well, that's a great people have different approaches to this prison we're in called civilization that occurred after the dawn of agriculture. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a beautiful prison. I wouldn't want to live before the dawn of agriculture, but we all have ways of repressing sexuality and we all have ways of expressing it. And I'm just here to help people. Yeah, no, and, and you do. You do. Thank you. You know, you do inspire me because I feel like I'm getting old. Like, I just, mm. just study all the time. Academia. You know, I mean, I'm I'm proud of my academic connections, but it's, you know, I mean, you know all about the power of play. Oh, my gosh. This is one of my things. And um, yeah. I'm very much into play. And I, I think adult play is just as important. Absolutely. Maybe more important yeah. because kids do it so naturally. And then it's kind of beaten or educated out yes. of us. And then we have to kind of relearn it in some ways. But it is so important to good sex and a good life. Okay, so do you think good sex is important for living a good life? Well, actually, I didn't say that. But I know you didn't. Maybe. I, you didn't. I, 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 I think so. But then there are those people that I have to respect in this politically correct world who identify as asexual. asexual. Yes. Asexual. And yes. so... I would have to say I'm, I'm trying, I'm learning more and more about what asexual really means because yeah, whenever I talk one-on-one -on -one to a person who identifies as asexual, I find that there is some sexuality to them. I guess I just think that every human has some sexuality. They don't necessarily want to share that with others, though. Right. And maybe they don't. But we are all sexual creatures. We're, we're born from sex. Sex is what brings us into the world and sex is what motivates us to stick around for a while. And, you know, it, it cheats death. 
it's a great motivator. And I think that, yeah, you know, it's good to know thy sex. Socrates said, know thyself. I say, know thy sex. And then, you know, you have to go from there. Maybe if you have very, you know, questionable fetishes that would get you in trouble with iTunes, then you should stay in the erotic theater of the mind with it. And on the other hand, if, uh, you know, you just want to switch genders, that's okay. You can get on the cover of Vanity Fair. You are amazing at like just on the spot coming up with like puns and plays on words. Like, were you just like this at back at Yale? Like, if I knew you back then, I was very shy back at Yale. Really? I mean, that's why I took theater. Yeah. I actually first I was I did mine, and then I, I had to learn a lot. You know, just like you. Yeah. Challenges make you stronger. It does. It does. Mm-hmm. I now give talks, you know, in front of lots of people, and. uh I'm mm-hmm. definitely shy about that. Definitely. I mean, I, the amount I've grown in the just since the time you've known me is just crazy, actually. Yeah, but the people that aren't shy, that are just so natural, you know, I mean, it's easy for them to crash and burn sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So we have to feel for them, too. Oh, I definitely. I mean, I do like your idea that we're all more or less kind of equal, and, and we just have to find our strengths and kind of shore up our weaknesses and, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, when I mean, we do all do differ in our talents, interests, preferences, et cetera, et cetera. But I, and a key to talent is pleasure, is enjoying what yes. you're doing. Because no matter how good you are at it, if you don't enjoy it, yeah, you're going to resent it. For sure. You know, we all have like a value proposition to the world. And the more that we like express that, I think the more we gain pleasure. So it's mm. absolutely true. Now, like I said in the beginning, you're known for lots of things. One thing is that maybe it'll jog the memory of a lot of my listeners is that you've done television specials in HBO. And I think I remember watching some of them mm-hmm. as a, like a pubescent kid. <laughs> yeah. And my executive producer is a Yaley, uh, Sheila Nevins. Yeah. And you know, pubescent kids are continuing to watch it because they keep rerunning it. We're always getting calls every week from some different people who have just seen it. Well, so remind me what it was like, what you did in these specials. It wasn't part of the real sex thing, right? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I did some real sex segments that are also getting rerun. But I did my own series of specials called Radio Sex TV that are really just like my own show, except with a lot bigger budget (laughs) and more camera people. and, And I guess also, I think that with HBO is when I started working with an audience. Because before that, I might just have a couple people, but they wanted a big studio audience. Before that, I was more just intimate, just me and a camera and maybe a guest or maybe the callers calling. And they brought in audience and then wanted more visual activities. And so I started doing more with audiences and then parties and just kind of created this unique hybrid of, I guess, the greatest sexuality show on earth and uh, swing party. Are there episodes online? Oh, yeah. There's yeah. lots and lots and lots and lots of episodes from all different eras. I've been doing it since the 1990s. Yeah. And you can see, I guess you could say PG rated, although maybe iTunes wouldn't consider them that. <laughs> you know, they're on YouTube. They're YouTubable and okay. without any restrictions. So you can see episodes there as well as on my site, drsusanblock.tv, where you can see them unexpurgating. I don't know why you're cracking me up so much tonight. I know. Well, you're asking the questions. I love it. 
Okay, so I, I'm just I, answering. I'm innocent. No, I mean you're the same Susan Bog that I know and love. Okay, so I do want to talk about. Let's dive into the bonobo world. It's a fast, right. look. It's a fascinating world, and I will say that I've learned so much about bonobos more so from you than you. scientists and anthropologists who study this stuff. Uh, well, uh, thanks. Yeah, you know, I, I do try to make science fun, you know, yeah. and ecology erotic. Yeah, exactly. So you say in your book that we can learn a lot about bonobos. They reveal a lot about the nature of lust, trust, arousal, yeah. orgasm. I want to go through the whole list. Cooperation, compassion, morality, dominance, submission, being human, and even being humane. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of things. Well, they're, they're our cousins. They're very, very close to us. You know, people look into the skies for an alien that might be like us who could teach us something about ourselves. But here, these bonobos, they're right here on Earth, and they're over 98% genetically similar to us. And genetics aside, you know, you just look into their big brown eyes, and, you know, they're like, I mean, connected to us. It feels like you're looking at the missing link. You know, it's just, and then you look at how they move, and, and of course, how they interact. And you see that they are very, very close to us. And that, I think, is the number one important thing about bonobos is just they're close to us. I mean, all animals are precious to us and all animals can teach us something about ourselves as animals because we are animals. And all apes can teach us something and we are apes. Bonobos are very, very close to us, the closest, along with common chimps. Right. And the other thing about bonobos, of course, for me and, you know, other sex maniacs like me, uh, is, yeah, yeah, they have a lot of sex. They have a huge amount of sex, much more than common chimps, maybe, I don't know, comparable to what we have, both quality and quantity. The other thing is they empower the females much more than any other great ape. Yes. You I know, know all the other great apes are very, very male dominant, patriarchal, whatever you want to call them. You, you could say humans are, although we, we go back and forth with that right now. But through our history, we have been our civilized history. But bonobos, you know, empower the females, older, older females, you know, kind of rule. And they also yeah. stay younger longer. That's another thing about them. Really? Know. What's the uh, lifespan? There's the like lifespan. a bonobo fountain of youth. It's, I don't know that the lifespan is, different, is yeah. much different. It's more that they're more youthful. As babies, common chimps are just as cute and youthful as bonobos, but with age, they just quickly turn into grumpy old apes. Yeah. And bonobos, especially the males, maybe because they share leadership with the females, they seem to sip from an eternal fountain of youth. They play a lot. They're very, you know, fun. And now the most important thing we know about bonobos. They have never been seen killing each other in the wild or captivity. They make peace through pleasure. And that's why, you know, if you've ever heard of them, you've heard they're called the make-love-not-war chimpanzees. And that doesn't make them hippies. It's not that they don't fight. They fight, and they can be violent. They're not angels. They're animals like us. But unlike other great apes, and, of course, most egregiously humans and common chimps, bonobos never murder each other, and they never make war. Um, they seem to use sex, affection, and empathy to calm each other down before it descends into killing. I found that so interesting. You said that bonobos use positive touch to prevent and restrain mm-hmm. negative touch. 
that's yeah. their default. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, they use positive touch. And, you know, I mean, they're constantly rubbing each other. Some of it's very explicit sex that would get them and X rating on iTunes. But most of it is what we might call foreplay or cuddling and licking, lots of licking and touching and rubbing and, you know, kind of snuggling. Do they have cuddle parties? Yes. Yes. They have major cuddle parties that they love to combine with lunch. <laughs> they do. Oh, and, speaking of food. And, and by the way, I'm not saying that we have to do everything like bonobos. I'm not saying humans should imitate bonobos. I'm, I am saying we should be inspired by them. Yes. Because when I went to Yale, you know, I thought about being an anthropology major. But, you know, I just learned back then that we were hopeless killer apes. That uh, that our only paradigm for our behavior as humans was the common chimpanzee or the baboon, and they're very violent and bloodthirsty. And I just thought, you know, this is depressing. I'd rather deal with the fantasies of Shakespeare and you know yeah. just theater. And and so I didn't major in anthropology. And then in 1990. I saw a special on PBS. And then the last species right before they got into humans was the bonobo. Mm. And when they just came swinging onto my screen, I just went, whoa, what are these incredibly hairy creatures that just seem like they have so much more fun than I, I've ever seen. And you I felt I, an I just, affinity. You felt affinity yeah, towards the bonobo. Totally, total affinity. And that can be a way to get beyond the civilized veneer that we live under that, you know, is basically repressing us in various ways, depending on our culture. Absolutely. So it allows us to what I call release our oh, inner yeah. bonobo oh, or our gonna, inner animal. Yeah, yes. I was just going to. Sometimes watching animals allows us to do that. That, of course, is the first step of releasing your inner bonobo is to watch bonobos. Yeah. I mean, I was just going to say that, like, the specific question you ask in your book is uh, no one's ever asked me that question before. And it is, is your inner bonobo yearning to swing free? Wow. What a question that is. (laughs) It's a good question. It's a really good question. But, I mean, it's such a great play on words there. Thank you. Uh, Yes, it has multiple meanings. I like to play with words. I I like to play. I I love to play. And and bonobos are all about play. And they even play with words a little bit. You know, there are bonobos who are learning to speak English and through sign language and through computer signs. And they are amazing. Now, for someone to release their inner bonobo completely... We're not talking about like they're going to want to just have sex with every single person they see on the street. That's not what we're talking about, right? Of course not. No, that's a huge characterization. So if if I were to release my inner bonobo, are we just talking about like, you know, getting more in touch with your kind of like your sexuality, like your likes, your dislikes, being comfortable in your own body, these sorts of things? That's what we're talking about. Exactly. Except the difference is simply that you're being inspired by the bonobos to do these things, to open up, you know, in all the ways that we want to do. It doesn't make you into some strange hybrid creature. You would right. just be a, hopefully a happier human, a more playful human, peaceful. a more open, empathetic, peaceful. you know, peaceful. Yes, peaceful, peaceful human. That's what the idea of the bonobo way is. 
and you know, I think that there's a lot of, of threads that uh, that weave into this tapestry of moving towards a more peaceful, more sexually open, more female empowered, more empathetic, more play positive, more eco-sexual society. I think there is a worldwide movement. I call it the bonobo way, you know, and I think it's important that these creatures exist. And by the way, they are very endangered and we do need to help save them. And that is the last step of the 12 steps to releasing your inner bonobo is to save them from extinction so that they can continue to inspire us and just be here. Yeah, they provide this alternative primate paradigm for something that I think a lot of, you know, positive liberal type people are are moving towards anyway to enhance the quality and sustainability and sheer erotic enjoyment of human life. Now, is it true that you've run for vice president of the United States? That's correct, right? I did. And with part of your... uh, Frank Moore was my uh, presidential running mate. Right. I know. And now I've done some deep research on you. Would you argue that right now of of all times in sort of politics and sort of the landscape, like we could use more of the bonobo way? Yes, I certainly argue that. I mean, I think that, you know, without naming political names so that this interview can be timeless, you know, we almost have a contest between bonobos and common chimps right now in the news. <laughs> um, and and uh, I, it's, it's, it's funny to see humans sometimes in relation to our chimp cousins. Yeah. And I, I just, yeah, I kind of would like to move towards the bonobo way of peace through pleasure, of general female empowerment. That's not to say that simply because a woman is in office you know, she can't be like, you know, Catherine the Great or Margaret Thatcher and get a lot of killing done. I mean, human women are obviously capable of that. And yet, I think that the feminine side of us, I guess, that exists in men too, uh, is something that is now being honored in a way that it wasn't so much in human history before. And and maybe we, we could save ourselves from utter annihilation if we kind of acknowledge this in a um, in a positive, eco-sexual way. And certainly it would be good for the country. It would be good for the world. Wait, now, what does eco-sexual mean? What's the actual definition of that word? Yeah, eco-sexual, you know, I, uh, there's a new book out, by the way, that I just wrote the forward to really? called Eco-Sexuality. Yes, and it's yeah. a collection of, of writings edited by Dr. Serena Anderlini, Donofrio, humanities professor at the um, okay. University of Puerto Rico. We'll, we'll put that in the show and, notes. Yeah, we'll put and that Lindsay notes. Hageman. And uh, she's like a, a farmer up in Oregon. And they're both bringing together people, scientists and erotic writers and all kinds of people, sex workers and farmers and people that have something to say about the eroticism of ecology. And I guess it's partly a, a movement to see Earth as not just Mother Earth, but as Lover Earth, as an entity that we can connect with sexually, that can make us feel orgasmic, and as well as an entity that needs our care, unlike a mother who often we take our poor mothers for granted, and we just imagine they'll always be there to take care of us. And the idea of Lover Earth is not only 
kind of this sexual excitement that we can get from taking a walk in the woods that one writer describes as like a natural pornographic movie, but also this sense of responsibility that we do have towards our lovers, that we have to, you know, just treat them well and keep them and love them and romance them. And we have to do that with the earth if we're going to stay on it. I mean, whatever we do, the earth will survive one way or another with the cockroaches, I guess. And But will we survive on it? Will we and the bonobos and the other large mammals like us I think that's in question, and this movement in eco-sexuality is towards trying to, you know, connect with yeah. Lover Earth so that we can stay a while. Lover Earth. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, I'll put a uh, link to that on there. I feel like a little, like, kid giddy, like, whenever I talk to you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because of the play, I think. Uh, yeah, I love playing. I just absolutely love it. So I don't want to take up much more time because I'm going to be really respectful. There are a couple more things, points I, I think we should make about bonobos because you make a lot of really good points in this book and you know we want to really whet the appetite for people to go and get it, get your book. So one thing, Yeah, there's a, a lot of points about bonobos, but what would you like to get into? Yeah, so uh, we'll end on the question how we – you know maybe two things we can do to release inner, inner bonobo. But, but before we get to that point, tell me first of all, what is Hoka Hoka? And how does it oh, lubricate life? Great minds think alike. I was gonna, I was gonna say, you know, bisexuality is very important to keeping the peace in Bonoboville. And that's what Hoka Hoka is. It really is. is, and that's what Hoka Hoka is. Really, okay. it's the females doing their their bisex thing. I mean, basically, Hoka Hoka is the Bonobo Tango. The primatologist calls it genito genital rubbing. But I do think that uh, it is not just about the physical, but it, it is important to the bonobo female solidarity, the sisterhood of Bonoboville. And they're not even really sisters. See, bonobo females migrate from their original tribe that they're born into when they reach puberty. And when they get into the new tribe, they kind of suck up, so to speak, to whoever they feel is a interesting older female. And then they will groom with that female and, you know, do hoka-hoka and other things. And then they become friends. They eat together. And this is the building of a sisterhood and female friendship that is very unique among great apes. Because if you look at common chimps where the females also migrate, when they go into a new tribe, the other females like go, oh, hey, girl, you're just going to have to forage on your own. Don't come near me. And they let the every female for themselves. And among bonobos, because of this sexual intimacy that they build, which also includes lots of spending time together, as you know, sex is not just about the act, it's about spending time together. And so they develop this love for each other. And if a bonobo male is so bold and kind of ignorant as to attack a female, her girlfriend will jump on him and stop it. Wow. When you're a bonobo, your girlfriends have your back. That's so interesting. So there's very, very little rape among bonobos and no killing. They might smack the boy around a bit, but they don't kill him. And the males are also very bisexual in a kind of a different way, but it does help to keep the peace in bonobo culture as well, that the males, when they start to fight, they will fight. They are not angels, they're animals, but they... 
will turn the fighting into something that is sometimes called penis fencing, where they rub against <laughs> each other, or they do something called rump rubbing. As Who I'm calls sure it penis fencing? You call it Actually, penis fencing. it's a primatology term, and it can be used to mean other types of activities among other animals where penis fencing is actually kind of violent. But among bonobos, it's actually a me- it means that the violence is being transmuted into this pleasurable activity that may go on into orgasm, but just as often just ends up just being the guys just hang out and drink a beer together. Well, you know, have a banana or something. Gotcha. No beer, actually. That was not right. But no. the idea is that the males, you know, they fight and then shake hands. They don't, and that's what they sometimes call the bonobo handshake. Okay. So you ask a very interesting question. What might happen if we could somehow reorient ourselves toward our more loving bonobo side rather than our inner mad chimpanzee? And you quote Dr. DeWall as saying he doesn't believe the bonobo's free love would necessarily suit us. And you take uh, – you don't completely agree with that that quote. No, I admire Dr. DeWall. He's like one of my heroes and my idols in so many ways. He, he really brought attention to bonobos, and he was one of the first that I started reading when I discovered them through that PBS special. And I'm privileged to meet him, and he mentioned the bonobo way in his book, uh, The Bonobo and the Atheist. Yeah, I kind of think that he's not that familiar with some humans' bonoboville, like the swing scene, like the polyamory scene, like the, even the BDSM scene. Yeah. Where, But what I'm saying is I don't know that he's familiar with how humans can be as bonobo-esque as we can be, especially a swing party, which I feel is just like a gathering of bonobos with less hair and more hairspray. Now, it doesn't mean we're just like them, you know, again. I know, you said we're halfway between. We don't have the arm power to swing through the trees like that, and we also, for various reasons, we're civilized, we don't have the gumption to swing sexually like they do. Right. Not for the most part, but, and I don't, I just think that, you know, and now we're kind of segueing into how to release your inner bonobo. Exactly. It doesn't have to involve, you know, swinging or being just like a bonobo. It just has to involve finding that part of you that's inside that is playful and that is free and that, and that swings, but, you know, in a more, uh, I guess, general way. Yes. So what's the first step if you want to release your inner bonobo? We, let's not get too advanced because we want people to read your book, but what, what's yeah. the first step? First step is to watch the bonobos, like I said, you know, see how they, how they do it. Just they're, they're everywhere on the internet, so that shouldn't be a problem. It's ideal to be able to go to the Congo, but very difficult. It's, a, it's As I said, they're highly endangered, so there aren't very many of them. If you have a zoo near you, you should go see them at the zoo. They're down at the San Diego Zoo. Give me one more thing that going beyond just watching them for inspiration. Well, one more thing. I mean, there, there's, there's 12 you. steps. I know, I know. Uh, but uh, I guess um, the the third step is go bonobos in bed. And I, I guess that's a that's a basic thing to, uh, to emphasize here. I feel all the steps are kind of equal in a way. And, of course, the last step of saving the bonobos is incredibly important. But going bonobos in bed is, is really, a, you know, whether or not we can save the world, which I don't know. I, I'd like to try, but, you know, the whole peace through pleasure paradigm could be a pipe dream. But certainly we can change our own life. 
Yeah. And certainly we can improve our sex life. We can release our inner bonobo in bed with our lover or maybe more than one lover, but usually most of us just have one, which is fine. And to just uh, kind of try to enjoy sex like a bonobo without the pretense and the hypocrisy and the shame that humans put mm. on sex all the time. And that goes also if you don't have a partner, if you're just masturbating, because bonobos masturbate, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's something that feels good, you know. Sex is something to share, but it's also, you know, something that's just a part of you, about of you feeling good. And sometimes you need to calm yourself down. And maybe if people masturbated a little more, you know, there's a thing that's in one of the steps called metabation, where you meditate as you masturbate. And then we come back to our games in the erotic theater of the mind that help you to understand why you go for what you go for and maybe how you might be able to improve upon that or just accept that. Uh, Metabation. Well, but I'm, what I'm saying is combine masturbation yeah. with meditation. I love that. No, I absolutely love that idea. And to do it with a little more intention of owning it, you know, and not letting it be just something that takes hold of you, but the way that we approach yoga. And, and I'm not saying you should always do that with masturbation. Sometimes it's nice to just fall down and let it own you. Anyway, I'm out here, you know, kind of beating my drum and trying to save the bonobos as well as perhaps the human race, but, but certainly just trying to have a good time and, and help others to do so. I love that. You say bonobos hold the key to a world without war. Absolutely. Uh, they do. They, they hold that key. They are so close to us in so many ways, and yet they don't kill. That is so amazing. And can't we learn from that? We're always trying to learn how to, you know, not descend into violence, how to how to do anger management, what to do about our police. I'm not saying I have the answers, but I am saying I think the bonobos might. And we fortunately are now doing more and more studies on them because they are so sexual, of course, in those halls of academia for decades, even though they were discovered in 1930, they were barely studied because you couldn't get tenure and, and say you like bonobos. But now, I guess it's a little more liberal in some ways, although, you know, my approach maybe is, is still kind of controversial, but, but certainly bonobos are being studied now more and more and there's Recent studies show that they have language that they're comparing to human baby talk. So, you know, they're so close to us. And the way that they use sex and affection and empathy and play to just bring that violent tension right down to where there is no killing. I'd like to just tell you one more little story, if I could. Yes. Real short. I, well, it actually could be long. I'm going to try to make it short. I got it from Christopher Ryan just before I finished writing the book and I showed the book to him, Christopher Ryan's the author of Sex is Dawn, and he uh, he said, you know, it's interesting because you talk about baboons, but Robert Sapolsky, who's a great primatologist from Stanford, he did a study on baboons, a, a long-term study on this troop of baboons, and baboons are, of course, very, very male dominant and violent and vicious and they make war and you know they they certainly were brought to me as a Yale that you know this is why humans are irredeemably violent too so in any case these males were right 
were in charge of the baboon troop, and the whole troop is right near a garbage dump that is by, you know, kind of a tourist lodge. And so it's got all this delicious junk, hamburgers and cake. And, of course, the males, the strong males, are eating it all and fighting over it and certainly not letting any of the females or the more nice guys have any. And so the nice guys and the females are kind of cowering for basically years uh, in this way, I guess a couple years, and the males are growing stronger and more vicious. And then one day they throw some tuberculosis-tainted meat into the garbage dump, and all the males eat it, and they die. And, of course, the females and the nicer guys didn't eat it because they weren't allowed by the stronger males, and they find themselves with you know, a very shrunk-down society of baboons without these big, strong, nasty males. And they create a community where they can live and raise their children. And it's very bonobo-esque. The females are in charge and the nice guys. And they have no no killing anymore. And they, they have very little violence. And they're grooming and they're having more sex. And they're, I mean, they're virtually going bonobos. And he comes back, Sapolsky, and he sees that they're like that 10 years later. And that not only that, I don't know if it was 10 years or a few years later, not only that, but the, the, in those tribes, the baboon males travel. So he thought for sure when the baboon males from other tribes would come into this peaceful, peace through pleasure tribe now, they would just decimate the little tribe and kill the the nice guys and rape the females. But no, they kind of maintained it. They maintained this peace through pleasure harmony. And they said to the new baboon males, if you don't act nice, we're not going to let you have sex with us. We're not even going to let you in here. So better be nice. And they were nice. And I don't know the state of the tribe, the troop now, but this, is a study of many years, and it just shows that baboons can go bonobos. Well, why can't we? I say we end on that note, that question right there. Thank you so much, Susan, for being on my show and for the important advocacy work you do to save the bonobos and to make us more peaceful as a species as well. Wow. Thank you, Scott. This has been such a pleasure. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Psychology Podcast with Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman. I hope you found this episode just as thought-provoking and interesting as I did. If you'd like to read the show notes for this episode or hear past episodes, you can go to thepsychologypodcast.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's better H-E-L-P.
Com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. 